First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. Again, I'm very humbled by our text this morning. The more I studied it and the more I examined it, the more I was taken by it. <clears throat> Have you first Peter chapter four? Turn there verse 12 and 13, just those two verses for now. Peter speaking here says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. What encouragement that is. That when His glory shall be revealed, consider this verse, and when his glo- that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Have you ever seriously considered the place of fiery trials in the life of the church? Not merely in our own, but in the life of the church, or the lack of it. the essential or how essential such fiery trials are to the church's spiritual life and prosperity, according to Scripture. If we look at these verses here just real quickly, we see that Peter says there's a lot that's involved in our fiery trials that's tied in with the glory of Christ when He's revealed and are rejoicing in that glory. It's almost as though the Apostle Peter here says that we wouldn't enjoy so much, with exceeding joy, the glory of Christ being revealed if we knew nothing of the present sufferings or trials in this world. They're so combined together that one is in need of the other one to enhance it. And if you consider that, consider this. In considering strange things, as Peter here speaks of in verse 12, there's a sort of strange paradox when one considers this passage of Scripture in the light of our present church age. For as the church in the days of Peter thought it a strange thing concerning the fiery trials which were to try them, the church today should be thinking it strange because of the lack of such fiery trials. Peter writes and says, thinking not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. They were thought it was strange because of the fiery trials. We should be thinking it's strange because of lack of them. For though I wish not to ignore and belittle the fiery trials of many individual believers around the world, for there are patches of severe trials in the world against Christians. And I wish not to belittle that or ignore that. But the church as a whole has suffered very little, if any, fiery trials over the last few years. I've been 
saved for over 40 years. And I must confess that in those 40 years, though there have been patches of, and there are today, of severe trials against Christians, in general, the church hasn't suffered much at all in 40 years that I've been saved. Not in comparison to the believers in Peter's time. Read Hebrews. They were suffering affliction. They were beheaded. They were tortured. They were thrown in prison. They were given to beasts and all these kind of things. They were crucified. They were separated from their families. They were boiled in oil and all those kind of things. These believers in Peter's day were suffering severe trials. In fact, so severe, in chapter 1 he said, you're scattered abroad. So I wish not to compare our little light trials and afflictions, which all Paul said are apparently light when we see them in the light of eternity, but I wish not to compare our trials to those of the Christians in the days of Peter because we would never measure up. So as they thought it was strange that they were being tried, we today should think it's strange that we have little or no fiery trials. A divine truth which, sadly, the lack of which has greatly led to the church becoming indifferent to the things of God, worldly and complacent. The lack of sufferings, the lack of fiery trials, dearly beloved, has led to a great indifference to the things of God, worldliness, and a complacency amongst God's people. Let me read you something that someone said, and I'll give you his name at the end of it, some 180 years ago. He says this about the trials in the church, and I quote, He says, Such seasons of persecution or fiery trials are necessary for the church as a body. During a period of comparative worldly prosperity, multitudes of worldly men find their way into the communion of the church. A period of uninterrupted external prosperity soon leads to such secularization of the church as, the, as would destroy the distinction of the church from the world. Not by converting the world, but by perverting the church. Not by making the world Christian, but by making the church worldly. End of quote. It's almost as though he's speaking of today. That was John Brown. 180 years ago, said the lack of fiery trials doesn't help the church, but it hinders it. Look over in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Our Lord speaking here. Listen to what His words are. Chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. Verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now listen, we've read these words over and over, but listen to them this morning in the light of Peter's exhortation, in the light of the quote I just said. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. 
Why does it appear today as though the world loves the church and the church loves the world? There's no distinction. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Beloved, the things of Christ and true Christianity are so opposed by the world that it should not be strange because of persecution, but strange, like an old preacher once said, that there's not much more persecution. If we were really following Christ, as Christ quotes here in John 15, if we were really loyal and true to Christ, The world's hatred would be much more manifested than it is today, but yet most churches seem to appear to want to be liked by the world. The world hates you because of me, he said. The world hates you because I've called you out of the world. If you were of the world, they'd love you, but you're not. I've called you out, therefore the world hateth you. And yet we see little of that today. It's growing. I agree. The times that we're facing today, I believe that we're seeing the judgment of God beginning in the house of God, but it's changing. But, dearly beloved, if the church was really faithful to her Lord, if we were really living as we ought to be living, if we were following Christ as we ought to be following Christ, we should see much more hatred of the world towards the church which we see very little of. It's growing, but we see very little of and have seen very little of over the last few years. They were thinking it strange because of the fiery trials. And I fear we should be thinking it strange because of the lack thereof. But judgment is coming. It begins at the house of God. Keep it in context. But more on that later. Let me begin this morning by examining even closer the blessed and divine foundation which we began looking at yesterday, or last week, because it's upon this divine foundation, dearly beloved, we will certainly fall if we don't stand on it. We'll fall under the lightest afflictions. If if we do not have this divine foundation upon which Peter builds in this epistle. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to see something which goes along with that same blessed word, beloved. And I want to kind of build on that just for a few moments this morning, and then we'll carry on in chapter 4 and look what Paul, Peter's exhortation is. But I want, I want to build a little bit more on that this morning, because this is the foundation we need to have whenever we consider fiery trials. Look at First Peter chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. As a matter of fact, the first eight or nine verses are fantastic. We need to read them all. Um, our brother quoted some of it here during our prayer time just a few minutes ago, but I want to just concentrate on the first two verses and show you something out of this that I hope and pray would encourage us as we look at fiery trials that are necessary for God's people. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethania, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now I want you to see two distinct words in these two verses. 
that are very important for us to understand. Notice, first of all, okay, that in verse 1, Peter describes them as strangers scattered. Strangers scattered. But in verse 2, he describes them elect. Now, we need to understand that, what Peter is saying here. <laughs> I want you to understand the significance of what Peter is saying. He said, to the strangers scattered throughout, yet you're the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and so forth and so on. He defines them as strangers to the world. But they're not strangers to God. They're the elect. You see what Peter's doing? Peter, from the very beginning, just like the word beloved, he's trying to establish in their hearts and minds the divine truth that though in the world you're considered strangers, pilgrims, in the eyes of God you're the elect. Stranger in this form means a resident foreigner. They're residing there, but they're a foreigner. It was like me when I was in Germany. I never gave up my American passport. People thought I gave it up and became a German. I didn't. I kept my American. I was a, I was a resident in Germany, but I was still a foreigner to Germany. It wasn't my home. I was residing for the duration of the lifetime or for a moment, but I was a foreigner. A resident form. So Peter wants them from the very beginning to understand, you might be considered strangers to the world, and you are, because we're strangers and pilgrims because of Christ. He's called us out. We're strangers. But never forget, you may be a stranger here, but you're an elect of God. You see? That's great comfort for the believer. And this is something that you and I must always keep in mind when we consider our fiery trials. It's only temporary. We're only here for a short time. We're merely strangers here. We are a resident foreigner. And these trials will last only a small moment of time. But in reality, in eternity, I am an elect of God. He said further on, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. You see how Peter puts their attentions to the things eternal? You're a stranger, yes. You're scattered because of persecution, yes. But never forget who you are in Christ. Never forget, like we said last week with Beloved, never forget your standing in Christ. To understand and to acknowledge there being strangers to and in the world, yet elect of God. That's what they needed to understand. That's what we need to understand when we look at any kind of fiery trial, when we're facing any. We're merely strangers here. This is temporary. This is not forever. That's why Paul says, and we'll look at it later, our affliction which is light, I light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. One of the greatest problems we have as Christians is we forget what we have in Christ. We forget the standing we have in Christ. We let our affections too much on the things of the world and not on the things of, of, above of Christ, where he sits on the right hand of the Father. We're not seeking those things which are above. We're too busy and occupied with the things of the present.
If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. Look at that. Look at the difference there. There's a distinction. The world doesn't love you, not because of anything of yourself, but because of me, because I've chosen you out of it. There's a distinction there. Therefore, the world hates you. And I believe all the psalms we sung earlier, and we was talking about God's wrath upon the sinners and talking about how, how, how we don't hear that much today in pulpits and, and how the psalmist said, your enemies are my enemies. Beloved, we have to have that distinction in our heart and minds because I'm going to look at that in a few minutes. One of the problems with the believers Peter was writing to was ignorance of Scripture. Getting ahead of myself, but the majority of our problems as Christians comes about because of ignorance of Scripture. We don't know what the Scriptures say. Always look upon fiery trials as merely coming because we're strangers. But we're the elect of God. It's the only way that our afflictions can be counted lightly and only for a moment. When we look at Him in the light of eternity. They're being scattered by persecutions and fiery trials. Beloved, not only evidence they're being called out of the world. That was the evidence of their being called out of the world. Fiery trials and persecutions is evidence of our not being part of the world. I have trouble with people who profess to be Christians and get very much along with the world, and the world gets very much along with them. I have problems with that. Somewhere down the line, there's got to be a distinction. Give you a light example in, uh, in Germany, even though I spent 35 years there and I learned German on the street. I didn't learn it in school. I learned the dialect. I could hold a conversation with a German pretty good in the first two minutes, three minutes. It was okay, but let me speak long enough. And that German would say, ah, it was nicht from here. You're not from here. Or they'd, 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 they'd notice the American accent. Ah, du bist Ami. You're an American. Just give them a few minutes and they noticed that I was not from there. It's the same thing as a Christian. Eventually, you would think that something's going to arise that they're going to go, oh, you're not like me. They took notice that they've been with Jesus Christ. Their language, their talk betrayed them, Acts said. So i got a problem with Christians or people who profess to be Christians and get along with the world. Christ said the world's going to hate you because you're not of the world, not of it. You don't have any desire for it, any loving for it. So you don't have anything that brings you together. You're distinct. And the distinction is not in yourself, it's in me. Because I've called you out of it. It was not only evidence that they're being called out of the world, but was central. It was essential for they're not looking on things which are seen, but on the things that are not seen. That's why these persecutions were vitally important. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's why they're vitally important. Because it helps us, persecutions, fiery trials, and afflictions, being hated for Christ's sake, helps us to keep our thoughts and our minds on things that you cannot see. First Peter four twelve. Now watch this. Peter says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. 
think. Okay? Again, Jesse, be quiet. Think. It's not strange. Now, it's just merely one word, but it's very significant. Okay? On this one seemingly insignificant word, beloved, lies the very root of their confusion and misunderstanding concerning the fiery trials. Namely, their thinking was wrong. You know, sometimes we read through the scriptures so quickly we don't stop and think. But Peter is saying here, think it not strange. Their problem was in their thinking. You see, the problem most Christians have is in their thinking. I like what Lloyd-Jones talked about in Ephesians, about the Holy Spirit teaching us and the Word of God teaching us and so forth and so on, how he mentioned in some effect that God doesn't treat us like babies all the time as food fiends. us. He works through our minds. He, works, he wants us to understand these things we write unto you that, you that believe that you might know that you have eternal life. The Scriptures are always talking about knowing some things. And the problem with these believers is their thinking was wrong. Beloved, think it not strange. It wasn't their lack of faith. It was their lack of knowledge of Scripture. Beloved, ignorance of Scripture and its divine truths is the major cause of many of the believers' heartaches, sorrows, and confusions. Ignorance of Scripture is the major cause of the majority of our problems as Christians in this world. We don't know Scripture. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm not talking about just the young believers either. You can be older in the Lord and still be ignorant of Scripture. Proverbs expresses it best when it says, wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. Now, it's talking it's talking about the wisdom that comes from God. Proverbs talks, Proverbs 8 talks about wisdom, which references to Christ. So it's basically the same. Wisdom is the principal thing. Listen, this is what he said, Proverbs 4, 7. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom with all thy getting, get understanding. You see how the scriptures emphasize the importance of getting wisdom and understanding? Not worldly wisdom. Not fleshly wisdom, but heavenly wisdom. The wisdom that only comes from God, which only comes from the Word of God. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, <laughs> I love that. With all the getting, get understanding. You know, there's a lot of believers that have knowledge of Scripture, but they have no wisdom on how to use that knowledge. And I've met many of them. They can spit out Scripture like crazy, yet they lack the wisdom to apply that knowledge in a spiritual way. That's why it says in all you're getting, get understanding. Understand what you're talking about. <laughs> Proverbs 2 again says this, When wisdom entereth into thine heart, when it entereth in where? Into thine heart. Wisdom. It's amazing wisdom because wisdom has to do, has to do with thoughts, with your brain, with thinking. So actually the writer is implying the mind when wisdom entereth into thine heart. And knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul. Discretion shall preserve thee. Understanding shall keep thee. So you see... The emphasis Scripture puts upon us knowing wisdom and knowledge and understanding of the spiritual things, of the things of God, of Scripture. 
Look at Second Peter, chapter three. Beloved, think it not. Their thinking was wrong. Second Peter chapter 3. Look in verse 17. Peter closing out here, talking about the end times, all this stuff. Look what he says here. He said, Second Peter chapter 3 verse 17. Ye, there, ye therefore, beloved, uses it again. Nobody used that word more often than Peter did. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things. See? knowledge. Seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. You know these things, so beware. Watch. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. You know these things, beware, but grow in grace and in the knowledge you see, again, the emphasis is put on the right wisdom, the right knowledge, and it's the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the world's facing a pandemic, they call it today. You know what the Christians or the church's pandemic is today? And they have a pandemic. It's spiritual malnutrition. They're not being fed. They're not being taught. You don't have to be a young Christian to be spiritually ignorant of God's truth. But one of the greatest problems in God's, amongst God's people today in most churches today is Christians are being not nursed. They're not being nourished right with the Word of God. They're not being fed. And it's, it is the lack of spiritual nourishment, I believe, from the pulpit, which has greatly contributed to this spiritual ignorance. The pulpits today are either not feeding God's church or they're completely, totally silent. Stay with me because this is this is important because I, it's only one word, and some people say, "Well, you're making a much out of a lot, you're making a lot out of one word, like I did last week with the beloved." But I'm telling you, every word of God is inspired. And when Paul and when Peter said, "Beloved, think not," their thinking's wrong. They haven't been educated right in the things of God. This is the problem we have in most churches today. God's people are not being educated in the Word of God. They're ignorant of Scripture. The preacher's greatest task in preaching the Word of God is not to feed his own ego or seek to impress men with his knowledge of theology. And that's sometimes the impression you get when you listen to sermons online that preachers are more interested in pressing other men with their knowledge of theology than feeding God's flock, feeding God's church. They're more interested in their pet peeve theology than they are feeding the flock of God. But the preacher is supposed to feed the church of God which Christ purchased with his own blood and that by rightly dividing the word of truth, Paul says in Second Timothy 2. That's the preacher's greatest task in preaching the word of God. Not to impress people, not to feed his own ego, not to you know, stand there and, and stand on his own convictions, his own pet pee doctrines. It's to feed the church of God. 
and that by rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, he's to get up and by rightly dividing, I've mentioned this oftentimes before, he is supposed to be able to give out the word of God in proportion to those he's preaching to that they might grow thereby. That's the whole emphasis of rightly dividing the word of God. He can't do that unless Christ breaks the bread like he did with the disciples for the thousand and then gives it to the disciples. The preacher must have Christ break the bread of life, give to him so that he might give to others. He doesn't get it from other men. He doesn't get it from his own opinions, his own persuasions. He must be fed by Christ so that Christ, so that he, they meant then feed the church. Remember when Christ said, give me the bread, and he broke it and gave it to the disciples. He said, now spread it out and give it to the multitude. That's how preaching is supposed to be done. His main focus in preaching is to feed the flock of God, feed them spiritually what they need so that they might grow. Beloved, think not. It's strange. Your thinking's wrong. You know what malnutrition is? Most of us know, but let me give you a definition. It's a condition that results from lack of sufficient nutrients to the body. Not just one, but many. Vitamins, minerals, etc. That's malnutrition. And this malnutrition causes fatigue, dizziness, and growth-related problems. So you need to be having the right nutrients in your body if you're going to grow and be healthy. Boy, do I need to sit under that preaching for a while. <laughs> spiritual malnutrition is lack of spiritual nutrients. Listen to me. In other words, balanced preaching and teaching of the whole or all the counsel of God. That's a balanced nutrition for a Christian. Which leads to spiritual fatigue. If they're not receiving this spiritual nutrition they need, they're going to be spiritually fatigued, they're going to have heartaches, and it's going to hinder their spiritual growth. So it's the same principle. Physical malnutrition and spiritual malnutrition has the same effects. One's just physical, the other one's spiritual. And I believe that's where a lot of Christians find themselves today, spiritual malnutrition, because they're not being fed. They're not being nourished by the Word of God. Preachers are not rightly dividing the Word of truth. They're preaching to satisfy their own egos. They're preaching to uh, uh, before men that they might be esteemed highly. In the... I believe a lot of the ignorance of Scripture today is due to the pulpit. Paul said himself, for I have not shunned. I love that word shunned. It's coward or drew back. I didn't coward away. I didn't draw back. I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. This is one of the greatest tasks and yet one of the greatest, most difficult things for a preacher to do. That's why he covets the congregation's prayer and intercession is that he might find in God's word that spiritual nutrition that God intends for that flock of believers so that they might be nourished and fed and come to an understanding of the things of Christ. He's not there for himself. He's not there to preach his own ideas and opinions. He's not there to, to, to preach, to strengthen his ego. He's there to preach the word of God that God's people could be nourished and strengthened by the word of God that their faith we found not in the wisdom of men. Let me let me read Paul, First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two. I love this part of Paul's 
<clears throat> letter here, First Corinthians chapter two, in <clears throat> verse one to five, he says, "And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with the excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God." That's a humble statement. You know how smart Paul was. He's a very wise man, humanly considered. But he says, I didn't come to you with excellent speech. I could have, or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. That's how he felt about preaching. That's what he means by that. It wasn't that he was physical. This is what preaching did to him. Weakness and fear and much trembling. He trembled at it. He was awe-inspired by preaching it physically, physically affected him. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom. Watch this. But in demonstration of the Spirit and the power. Why? Here it is. That your face should not stand in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. You know, man, how many professing Christians today Faith stands in the wisdom of men. When you talk about their convictions and their understanding of the Scripture, they usually turn to a man and say, well, this is what Brother so-and-so said. This is what Brother so-and-so said. Oh, I follow this brother here and I follow that brother there. Paul said, no, no. That's having your faith stand in the wisdom of men. It's got to be standing in the power of God. Big difference. Why do I say that? Well, beloved, because I'm going to say something which I, I believe this day and age of Christians have forgotten, neglected, ignored, or have never been taught. And that is the significance of the preaching of the Word of God. In this generation today, we see more and more professing believers ignoring the significance of the preaching of the Word of God. Look in Second Timothy chapter two, chapter 3. This is why I believe there's a lot of ignorance. Listen to me. Don't misunderstand me. I can hear people now saying, well, I got the Word of God. I can read it on my own. You do and you should. But listen to the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. Read down through chapter 4 a few verses. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's good. But it doesn't stop there. We do because the chapter does. Look in verse four, chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee, therefore, because of what I just said about Scripture being inspired by God, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. The instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. What's the solution? The biblical solution. 
preach the word. It is by the preaching of his word that God chooses, listen to me, that God chooses to be heard. You say, well, God can speak to me. Yes, he can. And hopefully he does. But nothing replaces the preaching of God's word. For he has sovereignly employed them to instruct and feed his church. Look over in First Peter chapter five. Stay with me a few minutes. I want you. I want you to see the significance of this because we live in a generation that I believe has ignored this truth, has been taught this truth, and that's why we have a lot of students who are full of pride, exalting themselves above their teachers. Well, I know scripture. I know better. Look at First Peter chapter five. I want you to see what Peter says here. First Peter chapter five. Says the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Sounds like what he just said in chapter four, huh? <laughs> Talking about the sufferings and glory. Anyway, feed the flock of God which is among you. You see that? God has sovereignly employed them to instruct and feed the church, feed the flock of God. Well, wait a minute, preacher, can I feed myself? Yes, you can, and you should. Yet God has employed preachers by the preaching of his word to feed his flock. This generation doesn't esteem that. It's not important to them. That's why students can rise above their teachers. Suddenly, now everybody's a theologian. It doesn't matter whether you're a preacher or I'm just as knowledgeable as anybody. I don't need a preacher in my life. I don't need the preaching of God's word. I'm telling you, this is where the church has greatly weakened, been weakened over the years, is because they do not, the church does not, does not respect God's given way of feeding the flock. And they begin feeding themselves, they think. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples unto the flock. So you see, they're supposed to be not lording over them, not by constraint, doing it free willingly, but they are still to feed the flock of God. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Boy, that's a strange virtue in this day and age. They don't care if you're elder or not. I've got knowledge that we won't even go there. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. God has sovereignly employed them to instruct and feed his church. Beloved, think it not. Your thinking's wrong. Ignorance of Scripture is your problem. And that ignorance is greatly due to a lack of feeding the flock of God from the pulpit. Let me go ahead and touch on something else as we wind this down for today. I, I really want to be a little further, but I think it's important we understand the importance of Scripture, the importance of the preaching of the Word. But let me just speak on a few other things before we close, and one of them is the abuse of Internet. Listen to me. I said the abuse of it. We use it. But like all things, men abuses everything. The abuse of the Internet has greatly contributed to many rejecting God's sovereign purpose for the church and the preaching of his word. 
especially, I'm telling you, this COVID thing last year when everybody stayed home and started listening to the Internet, man, that opened a Pandora's box. Now, professing Christians to say, see, we don't need a church. I can't find a church. That's okay. I'll stay home and listen to the Internet. Let me tell you something, especially those who are so adamant on their doctrines, sovereignty of God, election, whatever it might be. They need to look at the Scripture concerning the church and the assembling of the saints of God. An Internet, a screen, a computer will never replace God's sovereignty ordained plan and command for the saints to gather together as assembly to worship God. Your internet is cannot replace the worshiping of the saints. And yet we have so many who are knowledgeable in Scripture who find it sufficient to sit at home and look at an internet. I can't find a church. God knows that, so here's my church. Well, if you're going to defend the sovereignty of God, election, if you're going to defend all these other doctrines, then defend the doctrine of the church just as adamantly as you do the other ones. You might not find a church, probably not, that fits everything that you believe in. You might not find an assembly of believers that believe with you every step of the way, every point you believe in. But let me tell you something. There's something about God's people meeting on Sunday together physically and worshiping God that God has divinely ordained. And since the coming of COVID and the Internet, church Christians have abused that. And to be honest with you, I think you're cowardly and you're ignorant for doing that. I know that's a bold statement, but I'm telling you this is how much I believe in the church and the preaching of the Word of God. That preacher on the Internet is not your pastor. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And I believe this has contributed greatly to a lot of believers being ignorant of Scripture. It's amazing how we pick out certain doctrines that we want to defend and that we want to stand up for and we're ready to fight to the teeth on, and other ones that uh, we're not ready to humbly submit to, we kind of ignore. Isn't that, don't we do that? Isn't that natural for the human being to do that? You know, we, we speak on the ones we're strong in. We speak of those graces we're strong in, but we don't mention the ones we're weak in. It's the same thing with the church. Let me tell you something. I'm, 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 I believe that the abuse of the Internet is one of the major downfalls of the church. I, I believe that with all my heart. God has always intended for God's people to physically gather together in one place to lift up praise and sit under the preaching. It's not the same when you're listening or looking at a preacher on an Internet that's thousands of miles away. It's not the same. You can try to justify that all you want to. It doesn't glorify God. Can God use that? Yes, we put sermons on the Internet. I'm not saying that you can't use it. But if you replace physical worship with Internet, you're missing out on one of the greatest blessings God's ordained for His people, to be physically under the preaching of the Word of God. I've mentioned this before, and I'm sure some of you have 
possibly experienced that as well. But there's been two sermons in my life that I can recall that were like in the days of old, you read about the Puritans, the Reformers, when people were just like Jonathan Edwards preaching in the hands, sinners in the hands of your angry God, how the people were moved. There's been two sermons in my entire life that I can actually say that I I believe I witnessed and experienced the power of the Holy Spirit of God on preaching like never before. Only two sermons in my 40 years, and they weren't mine. One was Al Martin. And was a man named William Hughes in England, two times. Never forget those two sermons. After those meetings, I went home and I ordered the CD or the DVD, and I took it home. And I said, "Now I have it forever." And I sat down and listened to it, and it was like something completely different. And I thought, it doesn't have the same effect. Was I really taken by that? I'm telling you, to be sit physically under the preaching of the Word of God could never replaced, never ever be replaced by a man on the Internet, ever. And I'm saddened by people who believe that it can. Can you be blessed by that? I didn't say that. But I'm telling you, God has ordained the assembling of the saints of God together under a man of God to preach the Word of God and in that atmosphere, in those circumstances, God has chosen to speak and feed his people. And that can never be replaced by cybernet or the Internet. And I believe this has contributed to a lot of ignorance of Scripture and a lot of weakness in God's people. Back in First Peter 4, 12, and I'll bring this to a close for today. I... I hope you don't think I'm dragging this thing out, but there's just so many things here that, and I hope to pick the pace up in the following weeks here, but look in verse 12 of chapter 4 again. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fire trial, which is to try you. It's going to try you. It's not possible. It's not maybe. It's They're going to. Peter doesn't soft pedal this. It's going to try you. You've already been tried. It's going to try you. As though some strange thing happened unto you. Look at this. But rejoice. It's almost like James. My brethren counted all joy. For what? Because I'm going to heaven? I have Christ? No. Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that you may entire that you may be entire wanting nothing. Amen. What a paradox for the world. You're not seeing this right. You're not thinking right, Peter says. You're thinking it's a strange thing. Why is it happening to me? I'm a Christian. I love Christ. I'm not committing murder. I'm not doing anything that would cause them to hate me. I'm trying to love them. I'm trying to preach the Word of God to them. I'm trying to be benevolent. I'm, I'm trying to follow the Beatitudes. I'm trying to be a good Christian. Why should they hate me? This is a strange thing. But rejoice. And here's why. Inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. 
not for sin. We'll get into that. But you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed. This is amazing, and I I really covet your prayers on this one because this this is really amazing truth here because it looks into the realm of things that's hard for us to comprehend that when his glory shall be revealed. Can you imagine that? When his glory was just slightly revealed on Mount Transfiguration, <laughs> the disciples fell down as dead men. John fell down as a dead man when he seen the glory of Christ in Revelation. But it says here that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Why? Because you are partakers of his sufferings. They tie together. It's an amazing verse. Pray over it. Read it this week. Think about it. Contemplate it. Meditate on it. It's an amazing conjunction here. Amazing combination here. And I hope and pray that God gives us understanding in it. But beloved, I felt the need this morning to park, stay just a few minutes on this great sin of God's people, the sin of ignorance of Scripture, and that God would enable us to understand the importance of Scripture and reading it, meditating it, and the importance of the preaching of it. Because nothing in the world will ever replace the preaching of the Word of God. I love my private times of devotion. Oh, yes, and you should too. I love my times of reading and meditating and spiritual books. have nothing against that at all. Even listening to sermons have nothing against that at all. But I'm telling you, nothing in the world replaces the assembling of God's people on the Lord's Day physically, to hear physically the preaching of the Word of God. The Spirit of God sovereignly works in that in a way He doesn't in any other manner. And the church has neglected, forgotten, or has never learned that. Amen. May God give us grace to pray for our Sunday worship and for whoever's preaching that you would intercede on their behalf, that God would feed you. Precious Word of God, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you now for your Word. We thank you for this exhortation. We pray you'd forgive us of our ignorance of Scripture, where, Father, we've... Uh, Lord, haven't understood as we should. We pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding with all our getting. Help us, Father Lord, to get understanding, get wisdom. Oh, God, I pray that you would grant us that wisdom that only you have. Help us, dear God, we pray to study, read, meditate over Scripture. Lord, the light of thy word giveth light. It giveth light the entrance of thy word into our heart. giveth light. It giveth light unto the simple, the psalmist says. God, give us grace that we might see that light. And Lord, we might understand and comprehend that fiery trials should never seem as a strange thing. But Lord, may we rejoice because we're partakers of Christ's sufferings. Oh God, help us to see and understand that. Embrace that. We love you and thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.